All right. It looks like we are live. Hope you guys are doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Let me know if the audio is coming in. Let me know if everything is coming through. Everything. It's been, you know, I do this just randomly enough that uh, <laughs> I forget how to do it from time to time. So I hope you guys are doing well. Thank you for joining me for the live, well, it was a speech that was recorded live, and I want to tell you that thanks very much to the guys at 21 Convention, who really put a first-class presentation together. It was like four cameras, and, um, and and it's 4K. It's not 4K when it broadcasts, but it's 4K when it goes out. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, uh, for, for dropping by. I hope you can share the speech. Uh, it, it's nice to be out of the studio. It's really nice to be speaking out there in public. And uh, so uh, please share the speech. Uh, the speech is called Make Women Great Again. And you can, of course, get it at youtube.com forward slash free domain radio. And um, <laughs> can I just tell you something? It's a little funny, right? It's a little funny, right? Um, what is that line? I think it's hand solely. Sometimes I amaze even myself. It is actually really cool to because I hadn't done a speech, right, because it's been so much um, aggression and violence and threats and deplatforming from giving speeches, but um, it was really fun to watch myself give a speech and to watch myself enjoy the speech, and, and also, yeah, it's pretty wild, like an hour five, an hour ten, or whatever it was, like, I, I had to go and check my note, notes once, you know, I, I went to the back of the room uh, and, and checked, checked something, I, I knew there was something that I wanted to remember, uh, but I couldn't remember what it was. And so, uh, yeah, so if you can please share that speech, I'd be really thrilled. It would be nice to do more stuff out of the uh, studio. And uh, I love working with an audience. And we'll get the video. I did a really, really good, or had a really good conversation with uh, a whole bunch of men uh, and a couple of women, actually, who, who were there as well. Uh, that happened after the speech. Uh, I mentioned it in the speech, little one thirty to 3.30. We did like two hours, and it was really, really nice. To, um, to to just, it's like a live call-in show with actually people in the room, eye contact and the whole good, all of that good stuff. So I really, really appreciate that. Okay, so, uh, but enough of my, <laughs> enough of my yakking. And if you guys have uh, questions or things you want to uh, uh, talk about, uh, I'm, I'm happy to get your suggestions. I'm happy to give you thoughts. Are MGTOWN's Angry Girls... <laughs> <laughs> no, do a post-speech Q&A. Well, that's what this is, a, po a, a post-speech uh, Q&A. And listen, the, so the MGTOW thing I, I think is really interesting, and I, I completely and totally understand where, so men go in their own way. Uh, there's a whole sort of series of levels for, for MGTOW, um, and uh, I, I really, really understand where they're coming from, and uh, I, I understand the hesitance, the reticence, the, the fear, the caution, the avoidance, and all of that. But it just, you know, this is, it's not an argument, but it does not accord with my own experience or the experience of men that I know and women that I know who are happily married and enjoying the state and, and trust their partners and all that kind of stuff. So I think that the question for MGTOWs that I always have is, okay, but if you could find a great woman that you trust and, and love and who love you back, who's reliable, who's dependable and so on, would you pair up? Would you become a father? Would you? And, and I got to think that, that if they could find someone like that, 
they would say yes you know love and marriage and children i mean that's the meat and and marrow and gristle of life uh, it is the most meaningful thing that that goes on and so i would recommend that they at least entertain the possibility that such women are out there now they call them nawalts so it's like a unicorn or whatever like not a woman like that but the, my question is and having listened to some some migtows and having even met some in the flesh that I formerly knew from, from YouTube, my question is this. If there are no quality women in your environment, that's not the whole world. You know, the way we live is really, really important. The way we live is like these sedimentary layers, these sedimentary layers, really, really fascinating. Now, these sedimentary layers determine the kind of people that we are going to be involved in right that these are the kind of people we're going to be involved in and that's really really important to understand so if you don't know any quality people why not right why don't you know any quality people why don't you know any quality women why are there no quality women in your environment in your locale it's a really really important question where we live is not the world. Listen, man, I got to tell you, like, I mean, I, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, so to speak, but like I grew up poor and, you know, single mom and, and bad neighborhoods a lot of times. And, and if I had thought that was the whole world, I never would have been able to get out, right? We are sedimentary layers. It's like, you know, the, the deep sea fish, you know, that's got its lights over its nose to catch fish finding nemo style if that fish thinks that the entire universe is black dark cold deep water well that fish is never going to try and get any, any other place right and so for me when i grew up i had to look at the world that i was in this like underworld this this bottom dwelling hellscape of of poverty and and defensiveness and, and anger and betrayal and like I had to look at that and say this cannot be the whole world I can't have this be the whole world because then I won't want to get out of bed tomorrow morning like if I cannot escape this right you break out of prison oh my god I'm in a prison right? you break out of that prison oh my god I'm in a prison and you know maybe even every breakout gets worse because you lose the incentive to break out of that prison to the next ones it's just gonna be another prison you lose your enthusiasm so You have to, if you want to get out of where you are, you have to believe there's something else. But that's tough, right? That's tough because, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that their particular layer of life is like the whole world. And if, and, and that way they don't break out of it. They don't change. You know, like the same guys who go to the same CD bar for like 40 years and, and just complain about everything. And like those guys... don't like to see anyone break out of that environment. They don't like to see anyone drill up through the layers and break out of the underworld. They don't like anybody crawling to the light. They don't like the lungfish who get out of the ocean and get a nice tan and climb a tree and eat a coconut or something, right? So if you can't find any quality women, right? I mean, I don't want to call out anyone by name, but I will, right? I've listened to Sandman off and on. And, you know, he's 
complaint about the women who are available to date him or the women he finds and, and he dates and so on. And it's like, yeah, that's not Sailor Spoon, did he call one? Or, or And there was another woman who was like a, a part-time stewardess or something. And, and it was like, yeah, that's not very high quality. So the question is, there are quality women out there. I mean, I know that there are quality women out there. I know a lot of them. <laughs> that sounds bad. Like, if I don't know them, they're not quality. So the question is, how do you get a hold of them? Well, you've got to break out of your layer. You've got to, you've got to drill up to the sky. You've got to just get out. And, and it's tough because a lot of people, like, you've, you've got this group around you that, that believe that this black water is the world. And if you break out, they get really mad at you. They'll try and sabotage you. They might punish you. They'll withdraw. They're ostracized. The whole, the whole mess can, can go on. And it's really, really hard. It's hard to switch classes, man. It's hard to switch classes. Like, I remember when I was first in the business world, I was doing a presentation at a big bank. I'd finished my presentation and everybody was sitting around a table. I had no idea whether I was supposed to stand there or whether I was supposed to sit down. Like I had no idea. No particular business expertise in my environment. That's what happens when you grow up in like crappy rent controlled low lowbrow apartments, right? You, it's not like you sit there with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs and shoot the crap about how to deal with business meetings, right? And the guy I was doing the presentation with, he, he wrote me a note, just sit down, just sit down. And it's hard. It's hard to change classes. I remember when I got my first professional job as a programmer in COBOL 74, not the year 74, but that's the year that, that was the, we went from COBOL 74 to COBOL 85 on a tandem system. Ooh. And I remember this was at a, a, a stock trading company, a fairly elite one, and they had these gatherings. And there were all of these, you know, fairly elite business people and stock traders and so on. And I'm sort of coming in and it's hard, man. It is, it is hard to change classes. It's hard to change classes. And I remember the, I had a boss, very um, aggressive guy. I mean, it's a stock trading company, right? Of course, high testosterone, aggressive. Naturally, he was divorced, of course, right? But, but had more money than the Fed, it seemed. And I remember he gave me a really, really complicated uh, coding fix to make. They wanted to adjust a program that calculated haircuts for uh, stock trading. It's complicated as hell. And, man, it was hard. It was hard because uh, you've got a whole bunch of code, which you can put into, like, a notepad, but you can't edit directly on the tandem system back then, so you had to step through and ask, look for the variables, and I had to map the whole thing, right? And, yeah, I remember this guy's name was Jim, and he'd come in, like twice a day. And he said, is it done yet? And it's like, no. Anyway, so I was nervous, right? Should, should it be done? I remember there's a, uh, I don't know, all these complicated webs in life, right? So a, a guy who I became friends with at that job, who was the guy, <laughs> he wanted to talk to me about a project. So we went to go and sit in a room and he was just chatting about his life and, and, and all of that. And uh, I remember getting really, really nervous. I'm like, Shouldn't we be talking about the project? He's like, ah, you take work too seriously. <laughs> and that was a real eye-opener for me that, that work didn't have to be like, eh, right? And he's the guy I actually ended up playing volleyball 
in a league that he was part of, which is where I met the woman who became my wife. So all, all kudos, all kudos to him. But um, my boss, Jim, kept coming in and saying, is it done yet? And then I just, I stood up. I looked him straight in the eye. This is about my height. Put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Jim, I promise you this. When the project is done, I finish the last keystroke, I will walk straight to your office and I will tell you it's done. I promise you that. You don't have to keep coming in to tell me. And he looked at me like, you know, and then he's like, all right. He turned and yelled at his secretary who was outside, bring up that document, fire it, doc, doc. And then he just laughed and left the room. And he didn't bother me again. We had a pretty good relationship. We went to play, um, oh gosh, poker. Yeah, we went to go poker at the Granite Club. Anyway, that's another story. So it's hard to change classes. And for me, the MGTOWs are in this underworld where there are not quality people, not, not just not, not quality women, they're just not quality people. And I know this sounds horrible and elitist and yes, they're human beings and they should have all the rights. And I, I understand all of that, but just in terms of quality, just in terms of quality, the great hallmark of the lower class is, is betrayal. Uh, I'll talk about that another time. I want to get your questions. But so for me, the MGTOWns is to me, it's like, like drill up, man, drill up, just get out of the underworld, get onto the land, get into the mountains, get into the view, get in among the quality people. And yeah, listen, if you get among the quality people and you can't find a quality woman, I'm, I'm with you, man. But I'm just concerned that they're judging women as a whole by the women in the world that they live in. And I think that's just pretty, pretty bad. All right. I have time for questions. No, that's interesting. Okay, so yeah, there is a battle, of course. The, the primary people, I guess, would be what are called conservative ink and uh, people like uh, Michelle Malkin and so on. And it is to do with, no, I mean, it's primarily to do with immigration uh, because, of course, the left wants mass immigration to, to sort of prop up voting support and, and have more people dependent on the state and so on. But the right seems very keen on mass immigration, partly to avoid being called racist if they want to reduce it and to drive down the wages of particularly the underprivileged in, in the West, which I think is really, really, really terrible. And so there is this battle going on at the moment. And the battle is, you know, is there going to be a conversation about mass immigration? Is there going to be a conversation uh, about that? And I guess conservative ink, as it's called, like the sort of mainstream Republican thing, which is, it's very much a sham conservatism that is uh, set up to appease people, to appease two sets of people, right? To appease the people who want genuine conservatism, uh, you know, small government, closed borders, the America first stuff. So the mainstream conservatism is set up to appease people who want real conservatism and to appease the media. And look, <laughs> you can't do both. You cannot appease conservatives and the media for long, which is where Trump comes from, right, and, and all of that. So this frustration at mainstream conservatism uh, and this um, frustration at a lack of conversation about what is most important to Americans is really, really frustrating. Now, there is an element, of course, of support for Israel, questions about that. You know, America spends a lot of money on foreign aid. I don't think Israel's even in the top five because there's I think Iraq and Afghanistan and other countries are very, very high. You know, just singling out Israel, yeah, you know, it, it got a kind of hinky aspect to it. 
But the question is around, is America the world's policeman? Is America there to take money from the unborn and funnel it to rich, powerful, dictatorial oligarchs across the world, not including Israel in that, of course, but although it is fairly powerful. But is, uh, is America, is the American government allowed to look at the interests of Americans first and foremost, or is it Marshall Plan uh, forever? Uh, is it uh, Manifest Destiny? Is it the Monroe Doctrine? Is it uh, World's Policeman? Is, like, is it that? And this frustration is really, really intense with mainstream conservatism versus the people who want to have real conversations about stuff. And I think it is a very important conversation to have. Very, very important conversation to have. And I think the way in which people are shut down can sometimes be kind of brutal, can sometimes be kind of harsh. So, all right, let's see here. What else we have? <laughs> Somebody's frustrated because um, their internet is too slow to to see this. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. All right. Do you have any more questions to me, for me? You know, we can make this long, we can make this uh, short, and uh, it's really, really up to you. Sorry, these uh, questions got well, close to a thousand people, so not uh, not huge. Yeah, if you do want to support the show, and uh, I really, really would appreciate it, of course, if you do want to support what it is that I do, I would really, really appreciate that. You can go, of course, to freedomain.com forward slash donate, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I would really, really appreciate that. And why do people want me to talk about sex robots? <laughs> why do you want me to talk about sex robots? Um Okay, I will um, I will talk about sex robots. But first, somebody has said, hey, Steph, desperately in need of a call-in, 23 years old and feeling stuck, failure to launch. I've got a stutter. Would that be a problem? Well, listen, guys, I mean, this is an interesting question. First of all, please go go to freedomain.com. Contact information is there. You know, send me your Skype ID. And when, you, when you're available, I would like to do more of the call-ins. I really love the call-ins. You know, I've been doing this, I mean, long before I was a public figure, I was making arguments and in university and fighting and, and all of that. And, you know, I think I've had some effect on things as a whole, but there is a particular kind of empirical satisfaction that comes from helping an individual with a problem that really liberates that individual's life. And that, and, and through that, like through the generosity of the callers who allow their you know, private challenges and, and, and pain. Like I had a guy, I haven't released this yet. I had a call in with a guy just a couple of days ago. His email to me was so painful to read for him, it took him like five minutes. He was hyperventilating. Like it, and that's incredible courage. It's incredible courage to, to, to be that open and that vulnerable in, in a public forum like, like what it is that I do. So I just... There's something so satisfying and so empirical. Like, you know, I've, I've railed against the Federal Reserve. I have not quite got around to ending central banking quite as yet. But when you help an individual and you know, and I get, I get the follow-up emails and, and you, can re you really know that you, you've contributed or, or participated in really helping to turn someone's life around, that is so immensely satisfying to me. And, and it's funny too because, as I said before, they're not hugely popular on like YouTube and so on. But 
they are the most popular shows when it comes to podcast downloads. And so, yeah, I, please do call in and, you know, send me in your emails and, and please bot, like bug me. Like, like if, if you want to call and I've, I've lost track of it, I, I am sorry about that. I really am. I'm, I'm working on a system to make that better. But please uh, uh, call in and, and get it all going. Uh, let's, let's talk about it. All right. Sex robots. <laughs> okay, so, so here's the, the conversations that I know of around sex robots. And please let me know. Look, I have a new title and perhaps a modeling career ahead of me. But um, with regards to sex robots, there was, of course, so much frustration with uh, women uh, these days from men. And don't get me wrong, it goes the other way too, but I see more of the frustration from men uh, towards women that men are like, okay, well, all we need is artificial wombs and sex robots and we're good to go. And it's like, hmm, you're really not. You're really, really not. And I think it is really tragic. Uh, it is really heartbreaking to think of copulating with a curvaceous toaster. Like, come on, guys. I mean, it's it's a piece of latex and, and head-swiveling demonic machinery. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's not a human being. It's not love. It's, it's just ball drainage. You know, like it's not. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm too old for all this. I'm getting too old for this shit. Like maybe, but I don't think so. Like that's just not. That's not right. That's not right. That's like um, Tony Shalhoub is a really really fine actor. Um, in an old show called Galaxy Quest, where he's watching a guy having sex with an alien, and he's like, "Oh, that's not right. That's not right." I can't see. And and that's the kind of thing, like, if, you know, if your girlfriend needs WD-40, she's not a girlfriend. That's just like a piece of machinery that you're sticking your penis into. And, and like, how, how, how much do you have to dissociate your brain from what you're doing? Like, that's really, really important in life. The, the stuff where you kind of got to detach your brain and pretend something is what it's not or isn't what it is, that's really unhealthy. Where you have to lie to yourself in order to get something done. You know, like if you if you go to work at a job and, and you don't respect the company and you think that be honest with yourself and find some some way out of it. And if you have to continually pretend to yourself that it's not a robot but a girl it's not a piece of machinery, but a human being who loves you. Uh, come on, that's not that's not right. That that's really unhealthy. It's unhealthy because you have to lie to yourself because you have to say, "I'm not banging a microwave with tits. I'm banging a human being." Like that's that's not that's that's a bad mentality to be in to lie to yourself to that degree. So yeah, that's my particular concern about uh, all of all of that. It's uh, it's a very very bad. Bad idea. All right. I missed one here. Let's see here. Stefan is right. We should be real men and seek our true destiny with real women. No retreat. The future depends on us not surrendering. Okay. <laughs> here we go. I thought about this today. And uh, I'm going for it. Well, first of all, I'm going for some lip balm. It's dry in the studio. But now I'm going for it. All right. To understand women. Generalization time, of course. Well, you just watch the speech. I don't have to do this every time. And I'm sorry about the throat clearing of the speech, too. Now you've hear it and you can't hear much else. But I had a real dry 
uh, mouth and I didn't want to get water because it really interrupts the speech and I was just kind of fighting my way through it. So sorry about the throat clearing in the speech. But anyway, when I was a teenager, a friend of mine who was older said to me, hey, you want to understand women? It's easy. Imagine being half your size, physically weaker, and half the world wants something desperately from you. Now, if you get yourself into that mindset, it's a pretty powerful place to be in terms of understanding things, right? Because, you know, smaller, physically weaker, and half the world being the male population desperately wants something from you, which is not just sex, but, you know, companionship, acceptance, a yes, a date, like whatever it is that's going to thrill you as a man to, to get the date of your dreams or whatever. So that was number one. And number two, um, in general, it's not wise to listen to most women about what women want. <laughs> and this, this, you know, like, it, let's say you grew up with a single mom, right? So your single mom is a single mom, and I'm not talking divorces, right? I'm sorry, I'm not talking widows, right? Single mom either chose the wrong guy or the right guy left her, right? So she doesn't know what she's doing as far as relationships go. So, of course, you wouldn't take your advice from someone who's manifestly failed at the big job in life, which is to find a stable partner and raise some kids and all. That's the major job, right? It's the only reason there is a life to do anything else. So you wouldn't listen to your mom who's a single mom about what women like, want, and need because she's failed at getting and keeping a stable relationship. In the same, and look, it's equal, you wouldn't listen to your single dad about that either. So what women say that they want versus what women actually want, it's not really the same thing. And it's kind of like a test, right? Like they call this a shite test, right? And the test is, well, I'm going to tell you what I want. And if you listen to me, I'm going to lose respect for you. It's kind of a weird kind of challenging thing. But a woman needs a man who can disagree with her. And a woman needs a man who processes the basic reality that what women say and what women actually want not not the same, not the same things at all, often. And it's not all women, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so backing down from that, I think, is 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 a real mistake. And it, it costs women a lot of happiness. It costs men a lot of happiness. And it costs us all a lot of babies. So, all right. Let me see here. When will you debate destiny? Yeah, you know, we were talking about that. And then I kind of heard from someone who was in, I think was in contact with him, that I mean, the topic ideas that he came up with was so ridiculous and kind of weird and off the cuff. And like, he just wasn't putting any effort into it. So I am going to, I have a guy, uh, I think it's a professor who wants to debate Plato. I definitely want to do that. So yeah, sorry about that. But uh, the crew uh, the crew member guy, was that the guy from Galaxy Quest? That is a, uh, it's a pretty funny movie. Pretty funny movie. All right. Let me, sorry, just to... Um, Let's just see here. As usual, Stefan's arguments against sex box sat, suck. That's just wrong. It's not an argument. Yeah, oh, come on. Give me some credit here, for heaven's sakes. I didn't just say that's just wrong. That was the entire sum total of my argument. My God, you people cherry pick sometimes. I have a whole argument about you got to fool yourself. You got to lie to yourself. A whole thing about how that's unhealthy. Lord above. <laughs> Lord above. All right. Let's see here. Uh, do you have any advice for honest communication over text? When I start writing, I start overthinking. Now, do you mean like texting people back and forth and all of that? Um, well, I got to tell you, man. I mean, uh, when it comes to... Okay, this, this, is, this is what texting is for. Texting is for... 
you know, my wife was out uh, the other day and uh, my daughter and I wanted to do a science experiment. And so we texted her, would you mind or could you please get some vinegar? That's what texting is for. Sorry, I'm running late. Traffic is bad. Not that you'd ever do that while you're driving, but you get your passenger to do it. So that's what that's what texting is for. Texting is for bare bones transmission of data, of information, of requests, of, of you know, reminder, whatever, right? That's what texting is for. That's what email is for. And you never, ever, ever, ever want to have important conversations over email or, or text or even, even, even just the phone, right? I mean, listen, I've been doing these call-in shows for a long time and it's hard. It's hard because I don't know what the other person, I can, I can hear them maybe breathing or crying or, or, or laughing or whatever, but I can't see them, right? And if you have important conversations to have, for God's sakes, drive over, take a bike, take a cab, take a Uber, take a pogo stick. I don't care. I don't care how you get there. Just get there if you can, right? And, and have that conversation face-to-face, private place, eye contact. Uh, you've got uh, uh, vocal tonality that's, that's matched with facial features. You've got pupil dilation. You know, 90% of communication is nonverbal. It sounds like bullshit probably is, but there's some probably kind of truth in it. How do you get 90, 89% or whatever, right? But have conversations face-to-face. Do not have important conversations over text. Do not have important conversations over email. Do not have important conversations over phone. If the best you can do is like video chat, do that. But but you got to have that face-to-face. And, you know, breathing the same air is just such a positive thing. Don't you know, like if somebody says uh, something really, oh, I want to get give you a really important thing, and they ask you some important question over text or email, just say, hey, you know, I'm I'm happy to meet. Like let's let's have a coffee and, and let's talk it out or or whatever it is, right? So picking the environment, like how do you solve problems with people? You 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 pick the right environment. You sit across with them face to face. You 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 fly out. You whatever it is, right? Say, oh, well, flying is expensive. It's like, well, it is, but let's say it's a really important relationship. It's a family relationship or a long-term friendship and so on. It's worth it. It's worth it. Like the money that you'll spend on the, the, the plane ticket is, is way less than the regret you might have from letting things go uh, in a sort of bad, bad kind of way. So, all right. Uh, what do you think about it being illegal to question historic events? I believe that uh, all questions should be open uh, and uh, if you're talking about Holocaust denial, I think it's a wretched perspective. I think, and all oh, listen. I mean, I'm I'm angry about denial of the Armenian genocide. I'm I'm angry about uh, um, a wide variety of of these kinds of things, right? But repulsive though the perspective is, I I think it needs to be out of the open. I think it needs to be challenged. I think it needs to be debated. And um, because, you know, this is the old argument about free speech, right? Like if you ban speech, it doesn't vanish. It just goes into these subcultures that don't ever get engaged with, right? They don't ever get engaged with, right? So, you know, that there's these memes uh, that you see uh, uh, all over the place and, and they just get buried and, and they get pushed down and they just vanish, uh, but they just go into these subcultures. And those subcultures then don't have any sort of light coming in to, to alter their perspective. So I would say that it is important. I, you know, again, it's horrible, uh, but I, I do believe that uh, let's, let's, you know, sunlight, let, let the light 
uh, fall down. So, all right. Let's see here. What will $8 buy in the year 2069? <laughs> uh, there won't be $8 in the year 2069. There will be crypto, cryptocurrencies. There will be Bitcoins, and, and that's about it. All right, let's see here. Um, did you see Michael Knowles' response to the demographics is destiny topic, calling it out as racism? Well, I mean, so the left knows that certain demographics are much more likely to vote for the left. And, and that's well understood. Uh, and now, I mean, what is it? Virginia uh, has gone uh, Democrat. Texas is wobbling. I mean, California's long gone. So, yeah, I mean, this is... It's, it's, you know, if you say, oh, well, the, the, these demographics are more likely to vote for the left. Um, the, the only question that really matters to me is not the pejoratives, is the accuracy, is, is the truth of falsehood of the statement. Like if you say, okay, this ethnicity is somehow less human or worthless or, or bad, okay, that's nasty and that's horrible. But if you say, okay, well, this demographic's more likely to vote for the left, the question is, is it true or is it not true? And just, I don't know, screaming racism is, is well, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Like, I mean, if this is where we are, then, um, well, the age for arguments might be passed. Sam says, I love you, Stefan. You've helped me immensely with your philosophy and, uh, Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. That's very, very kind. And listen, I, I really, I really do appreciate it. And listen, this can be tough. This, this, this whole gig can be really, really tough at times. And your words of support and your support that keeps the lights on and all of that really does mean the world to me. And I, you know, I don't want to get overly emotional here, but having the opportunity to face down the world with reason and evidence with you guys having my back and, and, and having my electricity bill um my god i mean I, I i'm so immensely grateful for that opportunity and and i really i'm a pretty eloquent guy but i don't think in a thousand lifetimes i could express my gratitude for what it is that you guys have have helped me with and, and helped me and i always hope that i do you proud and listen i know there are times uh, people get really really mad at me they don't understand my decisions and there are times where i don't talk about my decisions for reasons that well, I mean, the reasons why I don't talk about my decisions have to be fun fundamentally in conformity with my own conscience. And sometimes there are good reasons why I don't talk about my decisions. And it's tough, right? I mean, you, I hate to say you either trust me or you don't, but um, you either trust me or you don't. And if you don't trust me, that's perfectly understandable. And, you know, just get to know me better. I'm a pretty trustworthy person. And if you do trust me, then hope, I, I think, believe that I'm doing the right thing for the right reasons. So, all right. Stefan is a hottie, 10 out of 10. Uh, yes. Do you speak of your daughter when you speak of all these women? See, I never spoke of all women. <laughs> did, you, did you not listen to the speech at all? <laughs> Trying not to be frustrated, but, uh, you know, after 15 years, I'm out of fuse, people. But uh, no, of course I don't speak of all, all women. I never speak of all women. It would be an insane thing to do. All right. Let's see here. Oh, yeah, there was some guy spamming. Oh, yeah. Claims to be the world's greatest philosopher. Don't think I've ever made that claim, but it's like, won't debate real philosophers. It's like, well, first of all, I have debated real philosophers. And uh, secondly, um, I have called out and requested debates with real philosophers. There was a woman who was crabbing on me. She's a professor, crabbing on me about my knowledge of Plato. I was like, hey, let's have a debate. And boom, gone, blocked, whatever it is. I don't can't remember. But so, yeah, I have debated with real philosophers and... Um, 
I have requested debates with real, quote, real philosophers. Um, but saying I haven't debated with philosophers, ironically, not an argument. It's not an argument. It's not an argument at all to say, well, Steph is wrong because he doesn't debate with people I classify as real philosophers. And it's like, that's not an argument. I mean, if, if you want to prove me wrong about something, please do. Like, be nice about it. Be helpful. You can be nasty about it, too. Even that's helpful. Tell me where I'm wrong. Show me the counter evidence. Show me the counter reasons and so on, right? And it's like, yeah, that's that's worthwhile. But just, you know, I don't know. It's funny because the, the, the call-out culture is... Well, it's it's kind of dumb, right? I mean, the, the call-out culture. This is all very, you know, well, you, if you had any balls, you'd debate X, you know, or you're too scared to debate Y, or or you don't debate real philosophy. Like, it's just like, oh, my God. What are you doing? This is, this is your contribution to the world, is trying to bring the level of unibrow wrestler call-outs and, and trash-talking to intellectual pursuits this is really your contribution to the world is you're a cuck you're a coward you're a sellout you whatever right i mean you you disavowed so and so which i didn't but anyway i mean it's you just got to look in the mirror and say are you are you bringing useful things to the discourse or are you just trying to control people with like weird preteen shaming language <laughs> you're too scared to debate destiny thank you that's very very uh, very helpful all right. Um, Steph is calling out call-out culture. Poor Steph responding like an adult to basically children pushing their agenda. Well, yeah. Right. Uh, Dana says, when I first watched one of your videos, you scared me, but now I admire you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it's a funny thing, you know. I'm a... <laughs> I mean, I hope you guys will check out. I, I've done some videos recently. Um, the untruths about me, right? Like like things that people have written about me, sometimes quite prominent people that are just so utterly false, right? Like there's a quote out there where I'm saying, I don't view humanity as a single species. And people have kind of all twisted that into uh, what I think that whites and blacks and East Asians are all different. It's like, no, there was nothing like that in the conversation. The conversation was about criminals and their prey, predator prey relationship between criminals and their prey, like rapists and, and so on, right? So, yeah, that's a way of looking at humanity as a predator-prey relationship, and predators and prey are usually not the same species. That's all I, it's all I meant. All, the, all I was talking, nothing to do with the nothing about race in the conversation at all, but of course people whoosh, lift that out, and oh, now, right, whites are a different species. It's, it's, it's crazy and highly irresponsible, of course, Another one was uh, when I said the breeding arena of the species needs, needs to be cleaned the F up. Well, that's nothing to do with eugenics. I'm talking about keep, keeping crazy people away from your children so they don't get infected with craziness, right? I mean, really abusive, manipulative, destructive people keep them away from your kids because personalities are contagious. That's all I'm talking about. It's nothing to do with eugenics or a government program, anything like that. Oh, man, it's absolutely, absolutely nutty. Uh, the stuff that is out there. And so anyway, I've done a bunch of videos. You can get them at fdrurl.com forward slash untruths. Untruths, U-N-T-R-U-T-H-S. S and S. <laughs> it's a combination of S and F. So yeah, fdrurl.com forward slash untruths. And, you know, watch them. I clarify my position on IQ. Uh, I clarify my position on, you know, just a wide variety 
of uh, of things and um yeah it's it's really really nutty so I'm actually a really nice person. I, I enjoy people's company. I um, I'm very thoughtful. I, I tip well. I, I give to charity. I um, I have a whole bunch of kids. I'm supporting in other countries. Like I, I really like the world. I like people. I'm a nice I'm a nice person. And it's you know it, to know me is to love me. <laughs> like if you sat down, even if you're a hater of mine, like I've had some people who really dislike me, and I've been on their shows or whatever. We have a reasonable conversation. Like I have reasons for what it is that I'm talking about. You know, like when I had some positive things to say about Poland, it makes me, makes me a Nazi to like Poland. Because, you know, funnily enough, the Nazis really didn't like Poland and they carved it up like a butterball turkey and destroyed it along with the communists from the uh, uh, from the east. And it's like, yeah, I talked about being safe in Poland and the fact that Poland was pretty white. And And now, like, this is what... I'm some sort of white supremacist. This is crazy. This, hey, I'm just, I'm honestly sharing my experience. It was a huge relief to go to a place where I didn't need 24-7 security, where I didn't feel uh, like if I'm in the washroom in some venue where I'm giving a speech, I'm in the washroom and someone comes in, I don't have to worry about being fucking shivved in the side. It was really nice. It was really a positive, lovely experience. Is it because Poland is mostly white? Well, as I found out, well, I didn't think so at the time. I never said it's because of this. I just said it is a factor that may be important. But when I went to Hong Kong, and by the way, the documentary is coming along really well, and I'm very, very pleased with it. And John Dutoit, uh, never hire him. He's terrible. Uh, you can't ever work with the guy. He's, he's mine. He's actually fantastic. So don't, don't, but you can't have him. He's mine. I just have to come up with new projects. And again, fdrurl.com forward slash donate if you want to help out. But um, when I went to Hong Kong, I had that same feeling of safety and security. When I was in San Francisco, we couldn't take out our cell phones. They would get stolen. Like that was what I went to you. If you've seen Sunset in the Golden State, which you can find on YouTube, and there's still more to do on that, but uh, Hong Kong is kind of taking priority. We were told you kind of have your cell phone out. You, you walk around Hong Kong, everyone's got their cell phone out and no one steals anything. And so Hong Kong is not white. Hong Kong, is, of course, is vastly majority East Asian, right? I think it's like 97, 98% East Asian. Perfectly safe there. Didn't need any security. Had a meetup, which was very nice and very friendly and very positive. Walk around with a cell phone, never worried about crime. Because of the time change, I was sometimes up in the middle of the night, walking around, shooting footage, chatting with people who were out, and perfectly safe. That's not a majority white country. Still perfectly safe. Now, the mystery continues. But yeah, so suddenly I'm a Nazi because I was safe in Poland. Okay, I guess, I don't know, am I a Nazi now because I was safe in, in Hong Kong? <laughs> you tell me, it's uh, crazy stuff. All right. Let's see here. Um, oh, sorry, I'm just waiting for the chat to catch up. By the way, hi, everyone who's new. I appreciate that. Let's see here. I, I use my cell phone all the time in San Francisco. That's a lie, Stephen. See, here's the thing, man. And this, this is where the state of human discourse is. So I said, and, and this is actually on film, man. I mean, why, why just go call people liars? Oh, that's a lie. It's like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> I was in San Francisco. I went to a meeting between people in Chinatown and the police. 
And there was this woman, I think she was like half Japanese and half black, this woman who was giving a speech, and it's right there on camera, man. It's right there on camera where she's saying you have to not carry your cell phone out when you're out and about. So this, well, that's a lie because I experienced something differently. It's like, dude, like, calm your fucking jets, you know, decaf or something, like just escalation which happens like, you're lying, it's a lie. It's like, it's on camera. This, this is what we were told in San Francisco by a police chief. This is what the entire community was told. And for people who are out there, like, you got to just, you got to cool your jets. You know, like, hey, why do you think you can't carry her, right? I don't know. But if, oh, you're lying. <laughs> like, my God, just crazy. Uh, right. As uh, Marisha says, uh, oh, I'll leave my glasses for that. What do you think of the lack of gratitude, forgiveness, and good faith in the world at the moment? How do we change it and end the hatred in people's hearts? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough one, right? So we can, we can only meet and negotiate in reality with reason and evidence as our guide. That, that's all, all we can do, right? It's all we can do to resolve our differences, right? That's how scientists resolve their differences. If you look at someone who's bidding for something in person or online, how do they end up agreeing with the buyer? Well, the buyer says, I want to sell it at X, and they meet X, and they click accept, or they say sold or whatever, and then they exchange the good for the money. That's how they come. There's an objective medium called price. That's how they come to their agreement. So where does hatred come from? Hatred comes... When resources are limited and negotiation is impossible, that's when, that's when you get hatred. When resources are limited and negotiation is impossible. Now, of course, resources are always limited, but there's, different, there's differences in um, the amount of resources available, like hunter-gatherer versus sort of 21st century West or, or East Asia or India, more so these days. So when resources are limited and negotiation is not possible, then you get hatred. And, and this is the big problem with modern society, with Western society, is that resources are limited. Like everybody knows that we're running out of money. Everybody knows that we're running out of resources. Everybody knows that the debt and unfunded liabilities are all catastrophic. So everyone's getting a sense that resources are running out. And what we should do, of course, is we should sit down and negotiate. And we should say, okay, listen, if you're in America, like $180 trillion of unfunded liabilities, we can't possibly pay it off. We can't possibly pay it off. And so we're going to have to have, we're going to make some tough decisions. We're going to have to prioritize. And, you know, my argument has always been that, that the best thing we can do for people, you know, like they've, they've made life decisions based upon having big retirement incomes and free health care, so to speak, and all that provided usually by the state, through government contracts and all that. And retirement contracts and so on, like CalPERS and all that. So they've made real decisions about that. How on earth are we going to fulfill what people expect? Well, we can't in the current system. Like, we simply cannot in this current borrow-predator system. We cannot possibly give everyone what they expect. So what can we do? Well, the answer would be that we liberate the economy, we liberalize the economy. Excuse me one sec, it's kind of rude, but... expand my sinuses like a blowfish for a sec there. We need to free up the economy so that there's enough productivity that we can be charitable with people. 
listen, I mean, I know this sounds odd. I've railed against government workers and so on. But if you've got some government worker who's lived 40 years or 30 years in some job she hates, maybe she's overweight because she doesn't really worry about her health care costs because all paid for and all of that. Well, what are you going to, if you just say, hey, you're out in your ass, right? That's hard. Man. It's really hard, really harsh, really unpleasant. And I mean, frankly, that is the kind of stuff that somewhat slow motion revolutions are made of sometimes, fast motion too. So she's going to need some support. She's going to need some help. And the only way to get the resources to help her is to give her sympathy, right? She was told a bunch of lies. He was told a bunch of lies. They, they you know, not everyone is, is able to see through the matrix and, and pierce through the, the fog and through the glass darkly to reality on the other. It doesn't, most people aren't capable of that. You know, most people aren't capable of winning American Idol and most people aren't capable of coming up with original penetrating philosophical insights into the world. And so, yeah, I think have, have sympathy for people who, ha who are relying on these things that can't possibly be funded. Have sympathy. And recognize that we're going to have to really tear down the walls between productive people and their capacity to produce so that we can have enough resources. Now, we can't force these people to give up resources to because the, then they won't produce them, right? So there has to be enough freedom along with enough understanding and sympathy that will help people like this. So that's my particular pipe dream. All right. Any advice for women as to the steps to take when moving from working in the workplace to focusing on family life and homesteading? Maybe as to how I could introduce the idea to my husband. Okay, so the way you introduce your idea to the husband is like this. All right. So I would say that the way to bring it up to your husband is through that which is advantageous to him, right? Because you already know it's advantageous to you, Caitlin, right? So you already know it's advantageous to you. So then when something is advantageous to you, and you want to sell it to someone else, then what you need to do is make that advantageous to that person, right? Obviously, right? So, you know, if, if you, you want to sell a car to someone, you know that you want the money more than the car to happen, so you have to sell the car to them, right? You already know. Like, your own preferences are already innate. They're implicit. Implicit is a better way to put it. All right. So you can say to your husband, assuming your husband wants kids, you say, listen, I want kids, you want kids. But listen, let's just, just think through this, right? So... Let's say that we both work and we both, um, let's say we have two kids and we both work. I mean, what's going to happen to those kids during the day, right? Maybe you've got grandparents around or whatever, but come on. I mean, <laughs> you, uh, you want to raise your own kids, don't you? I mean, you want to raise your own kids. So let's just say that that's not a possibility. You know, that's a hard conversation. You say, you know the reality. Like if, if we don't, if we have kids and I'm working, most of my salary if not all of it, is going to go on uh, daycare costs, the need to have a second car, uh, lunches out, uh, dry cleaning, extra clothes for like professional clothes or whatever it is you wear to work or whatever. And so even if I make, you know, three grand a month or four grand a month after taxes, the money goes to daycare and, and other things. So basically, I'm going to work for at most a couple of bucks an hour and, and strangers are raising our children. That's not good. Plus, we have all the stress, right? Right? What if, if we wake up one morning and our kid is, we both have very important things to do at work and our kid is throwing up? We can't take him to daycare when he's sick. So then what? Right? That's no life. 
Plus, you know, I want to breastfeed and, and like we want to have good bonding with the kids, right? Because you can cut corners when your kids are young. Like when your kids are babies and toddlers and little, you can stuff them into daycare. You can dump them uh, on strangers uh, and so on. And they, what can they say? They're tiny little kids, right? So what can they say? They got to just, I mean, I remember when, I was just talking about this with, with my daughter, actually, that when I left the UK, I mean, I didn't leave the, when I was taken away from the UK, and I remember sitting in the living room. We had actually a pretty nice apartment, a very rank control, but a pretty nice apartment, had a nice view of the city. And... I rem- oh my gosh, this memory just popped into my head. I was really, really into painting when I was a kid. A lot of drawing, a lot of painting. And I remember the house that was being torn down, there was a big, flat, wooden door. Like, it didn't have any of those indents or anything. It was a big, flat, wooden door, white formica on the outside. And I dragged it all the way home, dragged it all the way up to my apartment with some friends' help. And I actually had a bedroom big enough I could put that in and I painted on it. That was my big canvas, um, which was just kind of cool. But uh, I remember sitting in my, in my living room the day that we were leaving, looking out at the view of the city. I also remember outside of my window of my bedroom, there was a tree that looked like a, a, a soldier guarding the window. Like it, had, it really did look, and I wish I had a photo of it, but this is before photos were really that common. It was a picture of a, 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 a soldier with a rifle, a shoulder, and arms out. Really, really quite vivid. I remember that, liking the idea that it was sort of guarding me. It was really, it was a nice thought. But I remember sitting in my living room, looking out of that view of London, and knowing that I was leaving not just the apartment, not just London, but and not even just the UK, but I was going to, I'd never been to Canada before, and, and we were just, we were moving to Canada. And I remember I felt nothing. I felt no loss. I felt no regret. I felt no frustration. I felt no fear. I felt no anger. I felt nothing. Why? Because I was just, you know, bouncing around people's crazy decisions like, oh, you're going to Africa. Oh, you're going to boarding school. Oh, you're going to Canada. Oh, you're going to move. Like, doesn't, like, my feelings didn't, nobody ever consulted me. My feelings didn't matter. So why have feelings if they don't matter? And the numbness that comes from your feelings having no influence on the world or no effect on the world, yeah, you give up on having feelings, right? So what I'm saying is that you can kind of push your kids around like like a croupier. You can um, pinball them all you want around your particular preferences. And they will often, when they're little, they'll just submit. But then there's bounce back, right? When you get When they get to the teenage years, you're going to have a lot of problems. Because then the power balance has shifted, right? Because then they have autonomy and independence and you have anxiety and worry. And so now they're in the driver's seat. They have control. They have the power. And if you have been thoughtless to their feelings when they're little, they will be thoughtless to your feelings as you you both get older. They will treat you when they're teenagers like you treated them when they were toddlers. And I, you know, I mean, my daughter is wonderful and, and I'm an amazing person. And I, I had a whole bunch of stupid paperwork to do today. And uh, she, she comes in and she says, I, I thought you might like a, 
she she makes she calls it an acai bowl but it's not really it's like it's like oats and and yogurt and and fruit and it's really nice and it's very very healthy tasty and she brought it in and she's like she's 10 right and she brought it in and she's like hey sucks to be doing this paperwork but here here's a treat <laughs> it's the sweetest thing you know it's a it's really really wonderful and that's because you know when when we were driving down i was doing a speech at um in New Hampshire, I was doing a speech in New Hampshire when she was very little, and she loved swimming pools when she was just a toddler. And we came in late to one motel, and she really—it was dark—and she really wanted to go to the pool. And I said, "Like we've been driving all day, I'm kind of tired. It's late, it's cold." I said, "But I promise you, I promise you, in the morning, we will go before I go to the conference." Right? And so she wakes up early. She's excited and. I hate giving speeches when I'm tired. I really do. Like, it, I can do it, but it's just not nearly as good. And I, I think of the people who've paid or traveled to be there. I just want to give the very best thing that I can, right? And by the way, for those who say, when I gave the speech at Orlando, the 21 convention, they say, oh, it was thousands of dollars to go. It was not thousands of dollars to go. It was less than $1,000 to go. And if you bought it early, uh, you could get it even less. And you could also bring a friend for free. So it really wasn't, I don't know, it really wasn't that, I don't know. Anyway, so in the morning she got up and she she was little and she's like, Dad, a pool, Dad, a pool, right? And I was like, I would have given Satan a foot rub for like another hour of sleep, right? But I remembered, like I said, I would get up in the morning and I would like take you to the pool. So I got up and it was cold as a witch's tit out there and we went out and we splashed around in the pool for 45 minutes and it ended up being kind of fun. I did the speech well. And that's the kind of stuff where, so now she brings me her pretend acai bowls and it's really tasty while I'm doing paperwork. So make it, make the case that you get to have more parenting and fun parenting. If you, the woman with the breastfeeding are staying home because your kids will be bonded. They'll be happy. If you can homeschool, please, please do. Um, And you just, you have so much fun. You have so much fun. Whereas if you're out there and your kids are in daycare and everything's rushed, you know, you know what it's like. You've got to get up early because you've got to get the kids ready. The kids don't want to go. They're tired. They don't want to get out of bed. You get frustrated. And then you you got to drive like crazy and drop them off at daycare. And then you've got to get to work and you're already frazzled and tired by the time you get to work. So neither you nor your husband are actually being that productive. You're kind of worried all day. How are your kids doing? Are they upset? If there's a big scene where the kids are crying and clutching onto you when you're leaving them at the daycare, it kind of haunts you all day. And you can't. You can't like that. And then you've got to get to the daycare by a certain a certain time in the afternoon. And if the traffic is bad, you're sitting there looking at your clock and you're sweating. And you're getting your kids and your kids are upset and you're tense and you're unhappy and you're tired. And, and your kids uh, maybe had a bad day at the daycare or maybe they had a good day at the daycare. And it's hard to know which is worse when you're a parent. Like if your kids are, <laughs> it's hard to know if, if, if you leave them at daycare, if they cry and clutch onto you, that's pretty bad. But if they go off happily without looking over their shoulder, that's even bloody worse. I mean, there's no good way out of that. So if they had a really great day at daycare and didn't miss you at all, that's pretty bad. If they had a bad day at daycare, that's pretty bad too. And then you get home and you got to cook and you're tired and you have no time to play with the kids. And it's just, and then you get them into bed and nobody's really connected during the day and nobody's really had any fun. And then the next day you get up and do it all over again. Like, where is the fun in that? And then... 
You wonder why they're bonded with their peers more than you? Well, you put them in daycare. They're supposed to bond with you. And they're supposed to get their culture and their values through you. They're not going to get them from a bunch of other kids dumped in daycares by often selfish parents. And then you get to the teenage years and your kids have no bond with you. They're bonded with their peers and things just go way off the rails way quickly. So, yeah, that would be my case uh, to to make. It's just going to be a lot of fun. All right. Let's see here. God, this is boring. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I am really boring. And maybe you are not connecting with what it is that I'm saying. Or maybe you're used to being chased by demons down dark hallways in video games and regular old human connection and communication is not stimulating to you because you've been hyper-stimulated by media. Let's see here. Stefan, sorry, Shannon says, how do women find a good man when options are limited? I'm already 45, low sexual market value, my kids are grown and I've opted not to date for years via feminist ideals. Bad move. Ooh, Shannon, that's tough. Well, you send me an email. It would be a very interesting conversation to to chat about. Now, listen. (laughs) So 45 years old, forget about sexual market value. Like, I know I've talked about it, but but with regards to to dating where you're at, um, if you're you're a woman who's 45, sexual market value is not the big thing, right? What you have to offer a man, you know, his wisdom, his experience, his, his virtue, his values. And, and Shannon, by God, I wish I could get this across to people. If you're listening to this show, you are like a god among mortals. If you're listening to this show, if you're listening to this conversation, if you're willing to absorb and adapt to these really challenging ideas, you are a goddess among mere mortals. And you have an enormous amount to offer. You have original thought. You have great conversation. You have curiosity. You have intellect. You have precision. You have reason to listen to. If you've read my book, Real-Time Relationships, The Logic of Love, you know how to negotiate so that you don't have a lot of conflicts. And if you do have conflicts, you can welcome them as something that brings you closer rather than something that drives you apart. The book's free, of course. Freedomain.com forward slash, well, just freedomain.com, click on books. I think it's the same forward slash free or whatever. Anyway, so as far as sexual market value goes, yeah, you're 45, right? So you're past fertility, you're past peaks of physicality, uh, physical sexual attractiveness. So are the men, right? They can still make babies, but you can't probably, right? No, you can't really. So, you know, a a man who's looking for a quality companion, a man who's looking for, you got to have the pride in philosophy. Have pride in philosophy. I always knew that I'd be a great husband and a great father. And so if a woman I was interested in would go date someone else, I'd be like, you're kidding, right? (laughs) I mean, really? You're going to date some other guy when I'm here? And it wasn't looks or anything like that. I was a good-looking kid and all that, but I'm just, I was a good, a good partner and a, a good husband. So have pride in philosophy. Have pride in what philosophy has brought to you in terms of your capacity to be a quality companion, a quality lover, a quality friend to a man. It's not about sexiness and fertility in your 40s and so on. That's fine. You know, you can be attractive and and so on, right? 
And uh, yeah, it was nice to see in, in this speech, I, I got bloated as hell in Hong Kong. And you'll see that in the documentary. I kind of look a little bit like a tubby troll. But you know, let's just say it was uh, quite a time switch for my digestive system, to put it mildly. So um, but yeah, so you, you can still look good and, and, and keep yourself relatively trim. And that's all great. But it's about quality of companionship and, and how you sail into middle and old age together. So do not doubt that you have a great deal to offer if you have, uh, uh, if, if you have philosophy, you have uh, just amazing things to offer a man. So let's see. Let's see. It's difficult to find men who actually desire to have a wife who wants to stay home and homeschool. I've been turned down for a date because the man wasn't interested in a woman like that. So sad. I'm sorry about that, but uh, this is a somewhat... I mean, I'm closer to death than birth now. I'm 53. So the I think of all the women... Oh, this is going to sound bad. I was, I was... I dated a lot of women, but there were women who said no. And I think of all the women who said no, and I want to kiss their feet. I want to kiss their feet because all the women who said no led me to the woman I married, uh, who was the greatest woman in the universe and the greatest mom and the greatest friend, the greatest companion, you could name it, right? So a guy who turns you down because you want to raise his children, to hell with him. To hell with him. You know? It's sort of like uh, if you're wandering around town, you want to give people $1,000, and they're like, no. <laughs> okay, don't take my thousand dollars for free. Fine, okay. So you want you know you you've got the pride of philosophy. You listen to this show. You're a great human being if you listen to this show. I believe. I know that. I know that. So if a man doesn't want a great, smart, philosophical woman who wants to make his life easier and raise his children and give them great values and screw him well don't screw him but you know he's he's just one more guy who's out of the way so you can get to the guy of your dreams all right have i heard of bronze age pervert i have heard of him i have not read his book uh so have i had a chance to read scott adams new book loser think well okay so it's funny you know because it's not like i've become less controversial over the years quite the contrary in some ways so i'm a little i'm a little leery of of recommending books because I don't know if it does more harm than good but given this is buried in a live stream I'm sure it's fine okay Doug Murray's new book Douglas Murray's new book is 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 really good is really 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 good and he is like an achingly great writer there's the madness of crowds um he's he's delicate he's deep he's he's sensitive he's thoughtful he's you know all, all the things that <laughs> sometimes I wish I was more like he's circumspect he's right and, and he hits a lot of the hot points, and he does it with great delicacy and great precision and great, great language. So um, I have no doubt that Douglas Murray would be appalled by many of the things that I say. So please don't imagine that me saying his book is great is any kind of indication that he approves of anything that I do. So, so I don't want that to be out there. But the book is great. Uh, the book is great. Uh, I'm about halfway through Loser Think. Because, uh, see, Scott is interesting. Scott is a very, he's a very deep thinker. And he's not, he's not a first principles kind of guy. That's like the philosophy thing. But he's a very analytical and, and quite deep thinker. And 
because he focuses so much on persuasion, his analysis of things, it's, it's almost like engineering versus marketing, like I create the stuff and he's like, how do you sell it? And again, none of this is to indicate that Scott Adams approves of anything that I say. I should be clear about that. This is not any kind of reverse endorsement. But the book is well worth reading. As is, I mean, it's funny, you know, because I remember being on a business trip and reading um, one of his business books years ago and laughing my ass off. Uh, and um, it was just funny to have you know, conversations with him. And, uh, you know, he, he suffered, I mean, an enormous loss. Uh, his, his stepson, oh, anyway, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And, and I, I really, really admire his capacity to go out and, and make the world laugh after such a terrible tragedy and, and uh, immense, immense respect for the man. Uh, his, his, um, his spiritual strength is, is superlative and I sent him messages of support and all that during that time. It, it's really, um, uh, I, as a parent, I mean, as a human being, just appalling uh, uh, what, what he, he went through and I completely understand his positions on China and fentanyl and, and anyway. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, read Doug Murray's book. Uh, read uh, anything Scott Adams has, has written, I think is, is either very, very funny or very, very thought-provoking and often aren't both. And it's a very, very different perspective from the way that I approach the world, and I really, really appreciate that. There is an old saying that a book, it used to be about novels, so the novel is a chance to try someone else's life on for size. And to get into someone like Scott Adams' mind is really, really interesting. And I, um, again, he's, he's a great writer. Uh, it, it's hard to make writing look that easy and make it conversational and effortless like that. And um, so I, I, I would recommend uh, both books highly, again, with the caveat that they don't, uh, I'm sure, approve of much of what I do, but uh, that is uh, definitely the way to go. All right. Uh, so Ian. Oh. I kind of know that name. He, uh, he said, uh, Steph, I worked with the guy who was homeschooled, and it was clear he had never been around people in his whole life. To say the least, he was maybe the strangest person I have ever known. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because strange is one of these words that is, um, it's like foreign. Well, you know, if you go to some place that's really foreign to you, you're equally foreign to them. So uh, Somebody said, to see Stefan, $1,000 laughing my ass off oh the the speech thing oh, dude <laughs> terrible at listening do you think that people paid a thousand dollars to watch me give a speech for an hour do you really think that's how conferences work <laughs> listen i don't mean to dunning kruger up your ass but if you don't have any clue how conferences work you really should not be confidently typing how silly everyone else is you fool because that's not how conferences work Conferences work, this was like, I think, a three or, or four-day extravaganza with meals, with accommodation, with like many, many. Elliot Hulse was there, wide variety of other people, all giving great speeches. Uh, and um, yeah, you need to just don't spray and pray your opinions and hope they have some validity to anybody who's got uh, half a brain. All right. Uh, what's your philosophy on mental health and people unable or struggling to work and make an income? People that live on welfare due to that. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a tough call. So, okay, uh, watch a presentation that I think was tragically underviewed, although it did very well in podcast form, The Destruction of America's Mental Health Care System. It's a very, very good one. Um, so this, this, is, this is the great challenge with people who are delicate, right? people who are delicate. 
the Blanche Dubois, the my moms, the you know, people who are very delicate. And the challenge, so many years ago, I knew a nurse who worked in a hospital. And she said, you know, the, the people would come in and they, the women, let's say, they'd be really stressed and really upset and they would, they would want to stay in bed and they'd want to keep the covers over them and they'd say, I just need to stay in bed. I just, and, and you had to like say, no, you're getting out of bed. You're going to get up. You're going to walk down here, brush your teeth. Like you had to not have them collapse within on themselves and you had to get them up and moving and doing something. And that's a tough call, right? Because, and, and this is why charity is, is the way to do these things, like the way that charity is the way to do to help people who are, are poor or help single mothers. Because I think some people can benefit from rest. And some people, rest becomes avoidance that increases their fears. So, you know, there's the progressive exposure idea for something like agoraphobia, which is like a fear of open spaces. And so you do baby steps, you know, like baby, you know, take a step down the hallway, open the door, take a sniff of fresh air, step on the door for the five seconds, out of the door, five seconds, step back. It's just progressive exposure, right? And, and you overcome your fears a little bit by a little bit. And then after a while, you're, you're out there and you're, you're doing things like that, right? I used to have a fear of heights. I went parachuting. It was not really the right way to deal with it. But um, progressive exposure is kind of a way that that can, can work. And so if you give people who are anxious or neurotic or unstable, if you kind of wall them off from reality and you wall them off from society and they just kind of hide in their home watching Wheel of Fortune reruns or whatever, they're not going to get better. I may think the argument could be easily made that they're just going to get worse, right? Whatever you avoid, you tend to feed, right? You, You avoid your fears, you feed your fears. And so I... It's good to to confront and overcome particular anxieties that you might have about things, right? So I think from that standpoint, the system of just put them on welfare and and oh, I'm sure they'll be fine and so on. That's that's pretty rough, you know. That now there are some people who are too far gone, right? I'm sort of thinking about Sid Barrett, like the guy who founded Pink Floyd, lived with his mom because he fried his brain with drugs and God knows what else, right? So there are some people who are genuinely broken, and is it? I think. Robert Whitaker's book, Mad in America, uh, talks uh, about some of these people. They, they had mental health issues. They got plied with way too many drugs, and, and it just, just blew their minds, right? So that's not a matter of progressive exposure. Like, they're fried. And knowing the difference between those two is really tough, right? Because the people who are just anxious but who could get better often will pretend to be worse than they are in order to not end up confronting their fears, and they kind of need a kick in the butt to go out and confront their fears and start rebuilding a path back to the light. Whereas to do it, to try and do that with people who are genuinely fried and, and sort of beyond recovery, that's, uh, that's kind of tough, right? I do, I mean, I, I wonder, you know, if, if my mother had not been shielded from consequences by the state and by welfare and free health care and free dental care and so on, and rent control, and I, if she had not been shielded from reality, from the age of 50 or so onwards, maybe maybe less. If she'd not been shielded from reality, would she have been able to overcome her issues and be a more productive or be a vaguely productive member of society? I think she could have. I, I, I really think she could have. And this is one of the reasons why I take the state quite personally. Because you see, the state, they took over 
dealing with my mother, right? That the state, uh, you know, if, if I had been generating, if I had been paying for her as I did for some time, if I had been paying for her, I could have made some demands, right? You got to go get some therapy. You got to stop smoking. You got to eat properly. You got to like whatever, right? So, all right. Steph, can people find meaning in life without having children? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. Um, because listen, 10% of couples have significant trouble conceiving, right? So uh, there are people who are infertile. There are people, you know, so it is, uh, um, you can absolutely have meaning in life without having children. Um, it generally has to do with moral meaning, so. Uh, Ian says, I went on social welfare after quitting university back in 2012 because I had complex PTSD. I wish I went to work instead. It's too bad the time can't be reversed. Right, right. Why did you betray? Why did you backstab? Why did you disavow? Oh, just drama. No, I didn't. All right. Um, someone says, a fellow says, for someone who's traveled a lot and finds it hard to relate to others because of it, what are your top non-negotiable rules for finding a suitable woman in one's late 20s? Interesting. So the, the the rule that I had was relatively simple, was if the woman can't be reasoned with, pff, forget it. Like, no way. No way. If the woman can't be reasoned with, absolutely not. And, and don't sleep with the woman until you know her. Don't. See, the thing we... we, we you know, it's kind of like, you know, those Batman things, you, you shoot this grappling hook up and it hooks on the, the roof and it pulls you up, right? But that's, that's sex, right? So you shoot your grappling hook into the relationship, so to speak. You have sex with the woman and then your heart just gets pulled along behind your penis. You know, like your, your, your penis is like that hair, that like artificial hair, H-A-R-E, that goes around a greyhound racetrack and the greyhounds all sprint after it because they want to catch the hair. It's not real, right? So... You have sex with a woman and then your heart begins making up good reasons as to why you should be bonded because the bonding has already happened at a sort of biochemical level, right? So once you have sex with a woman, and this is true for women as well, but women are a little bit more calculated about it. Men really go deep, so to speak, with their hearts. And so, yeah, you do not have sex with the woman until you know you can trust her. And that takes a couple months. It takes a couple months. All the quality women I know never would imagine sleeping with a guy in less than at least a couple of months of monogamous, solid, get-to-know-them-meet-their-family kind of dating. Like any woman who's going to give up sex early, you, 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 you are in a very dangerous territory. Very dangerous territory. I'm not just talking Me Too territory or false accusations territory. Just because she's trying to get you to bond before you get to know her, which means she doesn't like herself. If she doesn't like herself, you are in for one hell of a ride. So... All right, let's see here. I bet Joker killing his mother in the movie really resonated with Stefan. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've been crabbed at for people about that, where I said I had violent impulses towards my mother when I was younger. But come on, come on. If, if, you, saw a, if you saw a child being beaten up by an adult to the point where the child could, like, be permanently injured wouldn't you use violence to stop that if that's the only thing you could do of course you would all right let's see here
Isn't everyone who has not produced 2.1 offspring by the end of their life de facto an evolutionary failure? Well, I mean, in terms of genetics, yes, but you can, um, uh, you can change people's minds and you can spread ideas, and that's pretty important as well. Right, so if you... Let's say I didn't have kids, right? But in spreading reason and evidence and helping people find good partners and helping them raise children peacefully, I'm spreading rationality genetics as surely as if I were out there spraying and praying among the entire congregation, so to speak. So, oh, there's something to be taken out of context. Anyway, all right. Um, let's see here. Coming from a rhetorician, Sorry, uh, rhetorician. I believe one cannot be a truly good speaker without being a good philosopher. What is your view on the relationship between philosophy and rhetoric? Very interesting. Philosophy and rhetoric. Well, I guess I guess they're both important insofar as... I did a show many, many years ago called Philosophy and Weight. <laughs> and it was like, okay, if you really want to change people's minds... Being reasonably attractive, and I don't just mean accidentally attractive like your cheekbones or your jawline or whatever, but reasonably attractive is, is not a bad way to, to go about it. And there's a reason why, you know, all of the women on Fox uh, have these like big hair and short skirts and high tables and all that kind of stuff. Well, not all, but a lot of them, right? So the polish is important. The presentation is important. The, the paint job should match what's under the hood, so to speak. So I think that's uh, that's important as well. And that's why and I saw myself kind of bloated in Hong Kong. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's like make sure that that doesn't continue, right? And it's funny too, because if you look at the interview I did at the very beginning of Hong Kong uh, with uh, Harminda Singh, I look kind of normal. And then, ooh, anyway, you'll see it. It doesn't really matter. All right, stem cells. Nah, stem cells haven't... I don't think stem cells have gotten very far at all, as far as I know. So, all right. Last couple... What are we going? Oh, hour 20. Man, this time flies. I'm so sorry. I'll do this more often. All right. Any tips for dealing with stress? I think that stress... Um, so if you, can, if you can have a narrative within your mind where the stress is both necessary and has an end point, then I think you can handle it. Like, Because if the stress is going to go on forever, that's no good, right? And if the stress is unnecessary, then you kind of feel weak or almost self-abusive and so on. But if you say, okay, well, the stress is important for some reason. Let's say you took a stand for something, you got punished for whatever. Okay, but it's important to take a stand for things. And so if you have stress for a decent reason and you have a plan through which you can escape the stress at some point, then it's just you know, kind of grit your teeth and, and get uh, get through it, right? Like, you know, a bad dental visit or whatever. So it's like a good reason and all that, right? So, all right, let's do a last couple. It's very interesting stuff. Uh, betrayal, betrayal. Oh, God. All right. I'm sorry my country, New Zealand, treated you and Lauren poorly, but it showed up our prime minister as, well, it's a strong word, but all right. But all right. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened as well. It's a, it's a real shame because uh, I had a really, really great speech. Uh, well, I, I guess I just did it in the studio, but it would have been more fun doing it with the audience for sure. Are you worried about the massive surplus men in society? 
Many are used by revolutionary movements as cannon fodder when society breaks down. Yes, because society tames wayward masculinity with work and family, work and fatherhood and children. And if there's lots of family, sorry, lots of men out there, can't really get jobs, not going to get married, don't become fathers. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. All right. Let's see here. Okay, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Where is Steph pulling these questions from? Kind of the same place you're typing. All right. Um, I should check out a documentary called Obsolete. Outlines humanity's future as a Huxalian dystopia of the robots. Changed my mind on UBI and jobs long term. Well, um, yeah, so UBI, Universal Basic Income, it's Andrew Yang's thing. And I mean, it's great when people break the stereotypes that East Asians are good at math, so I really, really appreciate that. But um, it's good counter-signaling is, is important for stereotypes. So <sighs> basic, basic reality of the modern world and something that is like so foundational to everything that goes on, but it's so often missed. Every human being alive in the world is sustained by 30,000 American dollars of debt. That is a terrible situation for society to be in. And all of the elites are kind of wrestling with this, right? It's a huge problem. Every life in this world at the moment is sustained by $30,000 of debt. We have an entirely artificial overpopulation based upon debt. That is a very unstable situation to be in. It's a very dangerous situation to be in. Because bills always come due. Mathematics is mathematics. That which cannot continue will not continue. And I think people have felt the first dim shocks of the iceberg hitting the hull. They're not panicking yet, but they're really uneasy. This is why a lot of this um, Russiagate impeachment hysteria, and you know, people saying, why haven't you done videos on the impeachment process? It's because it's just a distraction from mass immigration. It's just a distraction from demographic change. It's what it's for, right? So I don't really care about it. I mean, it's all made up. It's all nonsense. It's all lies and, and ridiculousness. It's all to cover the incredibly corrupt Bidens and their dealings with Ukraine and Hunter. And, and I mean, it's all, right, you accuse others of what you're actually doing. It's as old, it's old as the leftist hills. So, yeah, we, we, have a, we have a big problem that we have a lot of people who are alive because of debt. And when the debt comes due, when the debt collapses, when the financial system collapses, the life that it's been keeping afloat is going to be very, very challenging. And I wish it were different. I've certainly been counseling for it to be different. But anyway, okay. Uh, Electricity says, keep going, Stefan. You do great videos. Thank you very, very much. How does one do? Oh, I just missed one. It was good. And the, the chat scrolled. Will I find it? Will I find it? Why is the alt-right filled with alcoholics and druggies? I don't know. I don't really follow these movements, so I really couldn't uh, tell you if that's true or not. Uh, Gary says, Steph, you helped me earlier this year as one of your call-in guests. Call yourself whatever, mate. I call you one of the best advisors in my life. So F them. You are a great guy. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. Drop me a line, please, and let me know. Uh, let me know how you're doing. So I really, really appreciate that. 
So let's see here. Yeah, so as far as UBI goes, well, we need a free market to produce enough resources and sympathy for people who can make it, right? I mean, a lot of people who can make it in a sort of more intellectually challenging economy and environment, right? There's lots of robots replacing people. There's lots of automation replacing people. And um, we'll see. Uh, I think sympathy, understanding, and free market productivity is the way to go, whether it'll happen. Stefan M. Move to BitChute before December 10th when YouTube decides to censor all humans on YouTube. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, for those who don't know, there's a new policy that's coming out with regards to YouTube on December the 10th. And in it, they say, well, if we can't make any money off your channel, we can remove it, right? But they can't make any money off my channel, in part because I've been demonetized, right? So I don't know if the demonetization is for. I think that it should be, of course, people should be grandfathered in. It would be the reasonable thing to do is to grandfather people in because I decided from the very beginning, like I've been on YouTube since 2006, back when, well, there were fewer countervailing currents than there are now. <laughs> I don't know how to put it, right? But, and and listen, YouTube is, is YouTube has a lot of, challenges as an organization, right? They have a big, wide platform. They're getting a lot of pressure from various social groups, particularly on the left. It's a it's a challenging business to run. And, you know, they, they want to make money. I, I understand that. That's perfectly natural, right? But for those of us who, from the very beginning, said, I'm not taking ads, back when there was no question that that was harmful to your platform, like there, there was no, you, you could not take ads and nobody said, well, that might cost you your channel at some point, right? There was nothing, ever, never anything like that. So people who've put in, I guess, as I have uh, 13 or 14 years into the platform and made the decision to not take ads when that decision was in no way, shape or form would threaten the continuity of your channel, well, we shouldn't be penalized for decisions we made when there's no retroactive law, right? You can't make a rule retroactive, right? So I, I believe that that will be applied to newer channels, you know, people who upload 14 hours of, of classical music for studying that nobody listens to. Uh, that makes sense. But um, uh, that's, I think that would be reasonable. And again, I, I have some sympathy for YouTube uh, with, with all of the pressure points that they're susceptible to. And uh, so I would say that um, hopefully, hopefully the um, the reasonable rule is those of us who, well, A, if you've been demonetized a little bit beyond your control as to whether you can make YouTube any money, although people come to my channel and then go elsewhere, of course. But I hope that the reasonable approach is taken that those of us who did not take ads for particular reasons, which I've gone into before, that we wouldn't be penalized for that now. Because when you could not take ads on YouTube and it never penalized your account or never threatened your account, we made particular choices about content based upon we don't want ads that doesn't threaten our channel. And so we made choices on the, quote, edginess or, or controversial nature of our content because, like, hey, I'm not susceptible to advertising, I'm not susceptible to pressures against advertisers, and I'm not dependent upon YouTube ads for my income. So that gives me some latitude to, to talk about more challenging topics, right? So I hope that that is respected and that there's people grandfathered in and all of that. So, again, I know they got to make money, and I understand that's a lot of difficult pressure points um, for, for YouTube, but uh, I would say 
that um, it, it is important for, for the grandfathers. Uh, <laughs> now I'm old enough to be called a grandfather, but uh, anyway. What if I had to start paying YouTube? Would you? Ah, uh, well, you know, that's a challenge, right? Because I think that I'm kind of suppressed on YouTube and I, you know, I used to be getting 10,000 new subs a month and now I'm losing subs every month and that's been going on for like a year or so on. So I would say that I would, uh, I would talk about it with them for sure. I would talk about them for sure. All right. I think we should probably, uh, yeah, it's an hour speech. People watch, it's been an hour and a half of chatting now. Um, yeah, so we had quite a lot of people come in. Is this uh, a good, just let me know here in the chat. I'll give you guys a second to, um, to do it. Um, can you uh, let me know, is this a good, do you prefer the, the dial-in shows, uh, the one-on-one call-in shows with the listeners, this kind of stuff where I'm reading? Uh, this is a lot of me, of course, in this, although I'm getting questions. Is there, um, I exposed my girlfriend to your show and she said you were clearly unhinged, run? Um, I would uh, ask her to break down what she means by clearly unhinged and and I would try and ask her because, you know, you, you could be next, right? Does YouTube make money off Super Chats? Yes, but since I'm not monetized, they can't, like I'm not allowed to, right? So, um Let's see here. What's up, coward? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, fair enough. You know, and, and it's funny, like I understand this. I understand the anger. I understand the frustration. I understand the hostility and all of that. But I have to follow my conscience. And I'm sorry if that uh, upsets you or bothers you. And I also understand uh, that me not talking about it much is also frustrating for people. But there's a reason. All right. Enjoy the live stream. Get some more call-in shows up so I can listen whilst at work. Thank you for everything you've done, Stefan. What happened to your co-worker, Mike? Boy, that's a while ago now. Uh, amazing stuff. The, the chat is completely stupid without moderators. Well, let's see here. Both are great formats. Um, my wife hated you at first until she realized sexual market value was real. <laughs> that's interesting. And uh, let's see here. I would say... One-on-one -on -one call-in shows are better, and Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> Uh, all right, this is great fun, but uh, let's uh, let's move on. It's great to someone. All right, well, thanks everyone so much. A great pleasure to chat with you guys. I will uh, try to get this uh, up and running more often, and love you guys to death. Please, please help out the show. Freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Very, very helpful, and I love you guys. Thanks for all of your support for allowing me to do what it is that I do. Lots of love from me to you. I'll talk to you soon.